Scripture reading this morning is from 2 Samuel, chapter 22. When you find that, you can stand. 2 Samuel 22. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior Thou dost save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for your word and all that, God, you have made known here of yourself. I pray, Lord, that as we read your word together, and that we would be, again, strengthened in our faith, that we would be those who worship you in spirit and in truth that you would be honored, that Christ would be magnified, and that you'd be free, Lord, to express yourself in and through us for your glory and pleasure. We thank you, God, for the privilege of being in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> want to um, thank you for all your kind thoughts and good wishes toward me in light of what I said last week about Patsy stealing all the cashews at home. I've already been given a bag of cashews this morning, and I appreciate that very much. It's a very, very thoughtful and understanding church. Um, last Sunday night, as we were about to go to sleep, we had prayed, and as I often will do, I'll say to Patsy, you're, you're the best. And she said, I am a sinner. (laughs) And I said, but you're the best sinner. (laughs) I wonder how I will be remembered in each of us, how we will be remembered in the last chapter of our life. David, he did a lot. That shouldn't have happened. Um, but again, the one thing that Scripture seems to highlight about him, as we've recalled over and over again in this series, is that he was a man after God's own heart. And at the end of David's life, where we are now in chapter 22 and in, into chapter 23, David is um, singing. And that in itself is amazing. Many people come to the end of their lives and they are not singing, except maybe complaints. (laughs) And David is singing praises, praises to God. So chapter 22, there's a 50, the 51 verses here, other than the first verse, are um, David's psalm of praise to the Lord as he looks back over his life. Everybody agrees that this psalm was written at the end of his life. And then there's a shorter psalm in chapter 23, which again is at the end of David's life. 
At the end of one person's life, he wrote this song. You've heard it before. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Heard that song before? Frank Sinatra made this song famous. Elvis Presley also sang this song. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. When there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. I'm wondering why lightning didn't fall from heaven before the song was finished. The last stanza, for what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. Talk about thumbing your nose at God. And to think that the man who wrote those words has to stand before God and give an account. Scary thing. When there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I can't even understand that. I faced it all and I stood tall. Wow. What has man have other than himself? (laughs) If that's all we have, we have nothing. How can you come to the end of your life and think this way? Sadly, many people do. I happened across a, a story on the Internet yesterday looking at the news of all the Americans that are retiring to South America and how on their Social Security check, they're able to live like the upper class. And they're having the time of their lives, so the story says. Going to towns all across South America where there's good health care, and there's good transportation services, there's good museums, there's good entertainment, and you can sit at a restaurant for two hours and have lunch, and no one rushes you out. And I'm thinking... That's all there is? I mean, that's that's appealing. Maybe for two weeks at a time. But I'm thinking, that's how you're going to spend the last chapter of your life? Focused on yourself? And how to make a social security check stretch as far as it'll go? Where are the kids? Where are the grandkids? Where's your church? And I'm thinking... That would get old so fast. But if life is about having fun, then maybe that's the thing to do. 
Go to South America and have two-hour lunches every day. David comes to the end of his life and it's a totally different perspective. This psalm's really not that hard to break down. It begins with David saying, my God is. And it ends with David saying, my God is. And in between, very simple, my God is, and he's going to list a number of things. But then he says, I cry to my God. I call to my God. Third thing, and God comes. And then in the very middle of this psalm is an interesting passage, probably the most difficult, but he talks about God reveals himself and, and, and God recompenses in accordance with what is in our hearts toward God. And then he'll speak about God enables us and how we should give thanks to God. And then that final God is. So he starts in verse 2 and he says, The Lord is. In the first of many descriptions and titles, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is. Isn't that what you want to be able to say with all your being? When life is falling apart, and it does, and the last chapter of life is not the easiest chapter of life, no matter what you may think when you're 20 looking at people that are 70 and 80. It's the hardest chapter. And at the end of David's life, He's not saying the Lord was or I hope the Lord will be. The Lord is. He is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. Praise God. And we praise God for people that are like that. At the end of their life, that's their testimony they're given. It may not be the words that are coming out of their mouth, but you know by the way they're living where their foundation is. And it is not in themselves, it is not in their wealth, it is not in their, in, their, in their health. It is in Jesus Christ. And they're living lives of peace and lives of quiet strength and substance. And they're not panicked and they're not fretting and they're not, and they're not eaten up with anxiety. When there's many things that should be doing that to them. And there's a calmness and a stability and a strength that's there. He is their rock, their fortress, their deliverer. Who does not want to know God that way? But how do you know that God that way? That's the hard part. Because it is just words. Until we are forced into circumstances that we would never choose for ourselves. Like David was. When at 20 years old, he is running for his life until he is 30. For 10 long years, the most instrumental decade in any person's life, 20 to 30 years old. And David is being chased like a dog through the deserts, living in caves, wondering if how he'll survive from one day to the next. 10 years being persecuted and hounded for nothing other than he loved God 
and a jealous small man felt threatened by him. How did he know God was his rock? How did he know that God was his fortress and God was his deliverer? Because God took everything away from him. He had nothing left but God. He went through hard times. I listened to part of a sermon on YouTube not long ago. And the preacher was preaching in a prison about Jesus being the bread of life. Great words he had to say. And he was saying to all these men on, on death row with, with um, no hope of parole. And he was saying, Jesus is the bread of life. But many people will never know that he is the bread until God takes away the bread that they have in their hand. And when all the bread's removed, then you know Jesus is your bread. And only Jesus. And he was telling these men, you've had all the bread taken away. And you're stuck in prison, he says. But the good thing about this, there's people outside that have their hands full of bread, and they will never know that Jesus is the bread of life. You men can know Jesus is the bread of life. How does David know God is his rock? Because he's lived through times when there was nothing to stand on. Not himself, not friends, not family, nothing except God. And he says, God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. Man, these are solid words of praise. He's not saying, God, my happiness. God, my health. Nothing wrong with being happy. Nothing wrong with having good health, but David's saying, when I have nothing, I know God is my refuge, my shield, my strength, the horn of my salvation. My Savior, thou dost save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. That is a truth you can take to the bank. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. Acts says that he sent his son to deliver us from our own wicked ways. Cry out to God. If you have not yet, if you're here this this Sunday and you have not recognized that your greatest enemy is yourself and your sin, I pray you don't leave here today without knowing that. And the truth of God's word is you can call out to God and he will deliver you from your sin, the greatest enemy you will ever have. He saves those who call to him. There is no exception to that. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved. And then these next verses talk about all that God does He is not distant. He is not far off. But in the poetic language here, God is at the extreme ends of the universe. And I call, I cry out, and he rushes to me. Isn't that beautiful? That the sovereign God who created this universe and may seem so distant, he is not beyond my cry. And when I cry, when I call, 
God comes. Man. We had four little children running around the house this week, this last few days. Two grandkids from south of Houston and Michael and Brooklyn's two boys. And it was a full house with lots of babies crying out. And six adults who are ready to come. How much more so with our God? We call, we cry, and he comes every time. Verse 5, for the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The, stairs, the, the, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry for help came to his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from, the mouth of, uh, from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. Why is he angry? Because not, not only is he wanting to help me, he is wanting to crush those who come against me. He is a defender, not just a rescuer. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew and he appeared on the wings of the wind and he made darkness canopies around him and a mass of waters, thick clouds from the sky. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the most high uttered his voice and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord and the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me. Because he delighted in me. What tremendous truths. He is not distant. He is not far off. He knows my enemies. He knows my need. And when I call, when I cry, he rushes to my aid. He sins. He takes me. He draws me. He delivers me. He rescues me. Because he delights Does he delight in you? Absolutely. Absolutely. He delighted in David. Scoundrel that he was. Bad father, adulterer, murderer. And at the end of David's life, he's not going, oh my, oh me, what hope is there for me? At the end of his life, fully aware of everything he's ever done, fully aware of how he's fallen short, he delights in me. It's called grace. Just grace. Unconditional love. And David knows, I'm not perfect. Far from it. But my God... When I'm in need and I cry to him, call to him, because he delights in me, 
Because he is simply a God of grace and unconditional love, he comes to me without hesitation and delivers me, rescues me. Again, you know, it's not boasting, it's, it's weakness. It's all it is. But my entire life, I have never had any delusions about my ability. And I thank the Lord for that. Being born little with a heart problem. I don't remember the heart problem, but as soon as that cleared up, I had asthma. And I can remember that. And as soon as that cleared up, I had I was allergic to everything under the sun. Except the sun. And I say that because there was a girl in our neighborhood who was allergic even to the sun. And I thought, I've got it good. I was allergic to everything. Everything I liked, I was allergic to. Tomatoes, eggs, grass. Man, it was everything I was allergic to. I had eczema all over my arms and legs. Looked like I had leprosy. Little glasses. Everything. But everything, everything just reinforced to me, and it wasn't pleasant. I can't live this life. It is too much for me. Were those happy times? No. I had to, by faith, learn, and I thank God for my mom and dad who were constantly encouraging it. I had to, by faith, learn to say, thank you, Jesus. You work all things together for good. It was pure faith. I couldn't see it. Couldn't see what God was doing. But I, but I know that God was using those things to build into me a lack of confidence in self and a confidence in him. And I, I appreciate people that are talented and gifted and confident. I pray it's in Christ and not in themselves. And I know that God doesn't want us to go through life just insecure and introspective and, you know, and woe is me. But he wants to use the weaknesses of our person to bring us to the strength of Jesus. It's what Paul found out when he said in 2 Corinthians, he says, I wanted that thorn in the flesh to be removed. And Jesus said to me, stop praying about it. I'm not going to remove it because my strength is perfected in weakness. So I want you weak. I'm not going to take away the weakness so that you can find my strength in a way that you would never be able to know it if you were strong. Strength in weakness. Not taking away weakness so that you can know strength. But it's not a lesson that's just once time learned. It is all of life. Deeper ways. You feel like, man, God, I've got this. I know you're my stronghold. And God smiles. He says, well, not quite. Yeah, you, you know, in this area here, maybe you're learning to stand on me. But there is so much more where you are relying on yourself and you don't even know it. Or relying on your health or relying on your family or your friends or whatever. 
And God begins to just move it all where the only thing left is himself. And it's a good place to be. It truly is. And we can say like David, my God is. And I've been in circumstances where I've had to cry out to him. He has come to me quickly. He's rescued me and set me on a broad place. Verse 21, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, this is where it gets a little little difficult here. David is not claiming that he is righteous in and of himself. He knows he is not. He's fully aware of his sin. He's not comparing himself to other people and saying, I am more righteous than others. But he also knows that God counts righteousness as believing God, trusting God, and walking in a faith obedience before God. It isn't our righteousness, but God credits it as righteousness when we live in a faith-obedient relationship to him. That has never, been, never changed. It has always been that way. Abraham was the first principal example of it, and it's, and it's the ruling principle of the book of Romans. If we, we live by faith, and God reckons it righteousness, and that faith displays itself, it manifests itself in obedience to God, The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, as he does us. We're going to stand before God one day in heaven, and he is going to reward us for a righteousness that he has imputed to us. Isn't that amazing? And all we do is say, I believe you, Jesus, to save me. I believe you, Jesus, to live this life that I can't live. And God counts it righteousness. And he rewards us for trusting him. Amazing. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not acted wickedly against my God. For all of his ordinances were were before me. and, And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward him, and I kept myself from iniquity. We know what David's done. But what we don't see, this is the thing about looking at a person's life. We just catch the little snapshots here and there. And we just go, oh, I remember when. Oh, I remember that. But what about all the 60, 70 years in between? And David says, from the time that I was a boy taking care of sheep until this day, the general tone of my life has been I have known God as my rock. And I have trusted him. Have I slipped off that rock from time to time? Messed up? Sure. But on the whole, and it's not that God's weighing this in the balance and saying good, you know, outweighs the bad, you're a good boy. But throughout the tone of his life, he has been saying, Lord, you are my salvation. You are my rock. And God rewards that. Not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith that we are trusting in him and God rewards. And then it brings us to verse 25, one of the most interesting truths in all of Scripture. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes, with the kind, listen to this, 
you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the perverted, you show yourself astute. And this is where the translators really have difficulty. Because it isn't two different words. And we go, well, literally, it's with the twisted. You show yourself twisted. Isn't that interesting? That is the literal translation. And it's not just here. It's in Psalm 18, and it goes throughout Scripture. So there's two things going on here. There is the principle of recompense and the principle of revelation. The recompense, he's saying, if you are a person who is pure at heart, you're going to know God as a pure God. If you are blameless, then God is going to reward you with his own blamelessness. If you are twisted and perverted, then you're going to get the just recompense for that. But it's principally here also about revelation. How do you know God is your rock? Because you know you are not a rock, and there is no other rock. You, you, God reveals himself in keeping with what is in us. That is a truth we don't like. Why is it that some people just never seem to understand that God, for example, is good? And, other, and they just go through life going, how can you even believe in God? How can you believe in an all-powerful God and at the same time say that he is a good God and he allows suffering in this world? And I'm going, I don't know the answer to all that, but it doesn't trouble me. I know God is good. I know God is all-powerful. And how you reconcile those two things, well, I don't have it all sorted out, but I'm at peace with it. Because I have no doubt God is all-powerful. And I have no doubt God is completely good. But why will another person say, I cannot believe God is good because he allows suffering in this world? Well, this verse says, it's because of what's in them. And until what is in them changes, they're never going to get it. And it's not going to change until they wake up and say, the problem isn't me, isn't God. The problem's me. And if the word of God says God is good, and my heart is saying God isn't good, which is wrong? The word of God or my heart? Think about it. How do you see God? It depends upon what's in you, to some measure. How did Jacob see God? As one to be wrestled. Remember? And the word wrestle and the word twisted are the same word. Because people who are wrestling are twisting all the time, right? That's what you're doing. You're twisting, you're wrestling, you're contorting your body. And it's the same word in the Hebrew. And Jacob spends his whole life wrestling God, wrestling blessings. How is he going to get the birthright? He's got to wrestle it from his brother. How is he going to get the blessing of Laban? He's got to, he's got to do all these tricks, tricky things out there with the sheep, and maybe and, which meant nothing. You know, putting striped poles next out there by the water where the sheep were mating, and they're going to have, he's going to have striped sheep? Give me a break. He didn't even see that he's trying to manipulate God to bring about what he wanted. He was twisting, wrestling God his whole life. 
And finally, God says, let's just have it out. Right? And so he is literally wrestling God in the desert the night before he meets Esau. He's twisting in the sand. He'd been doing that his whole life. Thinking God is one to be wrestled. Not one to just receive from in gratitude. And God says, enough is enough. And he puts his finger on his hip, dislocates his hip, and he spends the rest of his life limping where he can't wrestle. And from that day on, he's going, I don't have to wrestle God. I can't wrestle God. What was I thinking? And he becomes one who trusts God. To the twisted, to the wrestler, he shows himself one to be wrestled. Is that what you want? To the fighter, he shows himself as a fighter who's going to fight back at you. I don't want to fight against God. I don't want to be the enemy of God. I want to know that he's kind. I want to know that he's blameless. I want to know that he's pure. And we come before God and we say, God, work in me. Change me so that I can know you for who you are. And God says, glad you asked. You may have to be chased around a desert now for 10 years so that you can know that you're not the rock. I'm the rock. You're not the fortress. Family's not the fortress. I'm the fortress. Great stuff. Thou dost save an afflicted people by thine eyes, but thine eyes are on the haughty whom thou dost abase. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness, for by thee... Now, this is talking about the enabling of God. As, I, as God humbles us, we cry to him, he rescues us, he humbles us, and he enables us. And now, see, it's not his righteousness, it's God's. It's not his strength, it's God's. It's not his light, it's God's. He says, God illumines my darkness by By him, by God, I can run upon a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? My God is my strong fortress. And he sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He sets me on the high places. He trains, trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. All of this is what God does. David's not trusting in himself. He's not boasting and saying, I've lived a righteous life. He is giving unqualified appreciation and recognition to God for what God has done in his life. And then finally, when we come over to verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 50, after he talks about all that God does to enable him. Pick it up at verse 47. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies, you have even lifted me above those who rise up against me. You have rescued me from the violent man. Therefore, the second therefore, 
The first was in verse 25. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. Verse 50. Therefore, I will give thanks to thee, O Lord. Among the nations, I will sing praises to your name. And then his final, God is. He is, God is, a tower of deliverance to his king. If your, seed, if your city was under siege and the walls had been breached and the foreign armies were, were pouring into the city, you had one last place to go. The tower in the middle of the city. A tower of refuge. And he says, God is the tower of my refuge. Tower of deliverance. He shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. God is my rock, my stronghold, my fortress, my deliverer. And at the end, God is the tower of deliverance to his king. I cry, God comes. God enables, I give thanks. And in the middle, we will see God, like it or not, for what is true within each of us. No wonder God brings all the various trials into our lives. It's not to punish us. It's not because he's angry with us. It's because, as Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And there is so much in our hearts that is often so untrue of God. And we project onto God, as a psychologist would say, what is true in our own hearts. We blame God when we are the one who is guilty. We accuse God when we are the one who stands condemned. And God in his mercy and grace says, I delight in you, despite all that. Isn't that amazing? But I'm not going to let you leave there. Stand there. God's going to work graciously and mercifully in each of our lives to where at the end of our lives, to everybody that comes into our room, and we're in that hospital bed, or we're in that nursing home, and everybody that comes into our room, they're going to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. The truth that we stand on. The truth that we know. When we are saying in our actions as well as with our words, with an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude, my God is. And they're not hearing vile stuff come out of our mouths. Complaints against God. Bitterness toward what people have done to us. They're hearing the praise of God. Thankfulness. Because God in his mercy has been working in us that we see God for who he is. He is a good God. I'll close us in prayer. Lord, with every trial and difficulty, it is our human nature apart from you to panic and to look for sources of salvation outside of you. It seems our last response is often what our first response should be. 
to cry out to you and to know your deliverance. I thank you that you delight in us, O God. And I thank you, God, that you are at work in us through all the various trials, immense as they may be, to bring us to the truth concerning yourself and that we would not continue to project onto you what is unworthy of you. We would walk humbly in praise and in gratitude, knowing that you come to us when we call and you enable us in every trial. You are truly our rock and our tower of deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen.